Okay. It's uh, it's our, how we begin. It'll be our off mic beginning. That's going to end. I'll just, yell, gonna... I'll just yell, hey, girl. Hey, girl. And, no, then, we'll, no, and gonna... then we'll start. Nope. You're listening to The Dollop. This is a bi-weekly, uh, we're all the genders, uh, podcast uh, about American history. Each week I read a story to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. Because he doesn't get enough sleep on tape nights. Oh, here we go. Here we fucking go. God, you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. People say this is funny? Not Gary Gara. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle and do what? Pray. Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> uh, Gary. Gary Reynolds. Gary of the Gary. That's my real name. Latter half of the 19th century. Whoa. What the fuck? No. <laughs> I mean, so. Yeah, that's okay. all I got. Jesus. This is, this is a train wreck. I don't have a specific. This is a. We didn't fully end the advertisement and then the I date. Like it ended. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I think we got all the information out there. Yeah, there was, I, I don't think was... we have closure. And now we're where? Where are we? We're in the later half of the 19th century. Later half of the 19th century. All right. It was the golden age of Shanghaiing. Shanghaiing was the practice of kidnapping sailors to oh man crewless ships. Well, okay. All right. There's a lot going on. I'm still thinking about the mattress. Uh, <laughs> Shanghaiing is kidnapping. You're kidnapping a, a guy to go work on a ship. But an empty ship? Um, well, I mean, there's not enough guys on the ship to run the ship. So they grab a guy to work on the ship. So they just take a man, and then they're like, "Here you go, you work here now." Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> Good deal. I think you. I think you have got it exactly. Good deal. Okay. Sorry, I had to quit the bash process on my Macintosh because bash overheats your computer. It's a stupid thing. All right. The middle of the 19th century witnessed the zenith of shipbuilding and the construction of the efficient and beautiful China and California Clippers. Okay. In contrast, America's merchant marine had gone from being America's first and finest employ in colonial days to a disreputable occupation, one that was classed with criminals and prostitutes. Cool. Ah, you work on a boat, huh? Just go suck a cock then. <laughs> Much like that. Uh, excuse me? You fucking boat worker. All right. Why don't you put a dick in your face? I'm turning around. Or stab Stop them. talking to or me. stab Stop man. talking to me. You shit bird. Excuse, I don't even know you. You boat loving shit I said bird. stop talking to me. Get off your boat. Sir, I'm walking away. Intolerable living conditions aboard ships and harsh punishment of sailors resulted in fewer and fewer Americans shipping out. Sure. Congress had made flogging of sailors illegal in 1850. They... They created a law in 1850 saying you couldn't flog a sailor. <laughs> it was a good time. Like it was so bad that they someone went to Congress and went, "Hey, man, they're beating guys with things." Listen, a, we really. I think we might have to make a law. A flogging instrument. I think we might have to make a law. Uh, but they were still treated horribly. There was still brutal hazing, which was sanctioned by the courts. Which was sanctioned by the courts. It was legal. Okay. 
to brutally haze them to maintain discipline. <laughs> See, brutally is a tough... Uh, it's the word. Yeah, it's tough to hear that before hazing, because hazing is, by nature, seems like it's sort of like, all in good fun for the most part. All in good fun. But um, brutal hazing. Under federal statute from 1835 until 1898, and founded on the case Butler versus McClellan of 1806, brutal hazing was legal and included corporal beating, Whoa. starving, and imprisoning. <laughs> hey, just razzing you. Totally legal. You're a POW now. <laughs> Get it? We're going to starve you. <laughs> now sizzle like bacon. They were also scantily Pop dre- like popcorn. They were also scantily dressed, often soaked with salt spray and malnourished. Sailors easily became victim to rheumatism, consumption, and scurvy. Once a sailor signed on board a vessel for a voyage, it was illegal for him to leave the ship before the voyage's end. The penalty was imprisonment. So you can't quit this job. It's like the army, really. You can't. <laughs> it's a little bit worse than the army. Yeah, I mean, it is worse. I think they treat you better in the army if that's possible. But if you if you leave, you go to jail. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of this made it pretty difficult for ships to recruit competent American seamen. Yeah, yeah of course. People were like, oh, no. No, no, I know the deal. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, so no. So you want to come on board? No, no, I've heard about it. It's all total bullshit. I don't want to get covered in salt spray while you imprison me. Come on. All right. Uh, they, uh, all the Americans were looking for jobs where they weren't beaten or starved. <laughs> I mean, talk about spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> also, the uh, 1949 gold rush was in full swing, so many sailors had gone to mine their fortune. After the discovery of gold in February 1849... 60 vessels left New York for San Francisco. 70 more took off from Philadelphia and Boston. And by the end of the year, 697 ships had entered the San Francisco Bay. Most of the sailors abandoned ships. So they needed crews, and they needed them badly. First recruiters conducted legitimate business. But the demand grew, and the supply of men dwindled, so captains turned towards shanghaiing, or crimping, as it was known. Crimping? Yep. Okay, uh... You don't, you don't like crimping? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I, well, I don't like either term. It's close to pimping. Yeah, it sounds like a mix of crips and pimping, which to me is not a good term. God, I wish that's where the name crip, crips came from. Crip pimping. Uh, crimps flourished in port cities, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle on the West Coast. Portna, Portland eventually surpassed San Francisco for Shanghai. On the East Coast, New York easily led the way, followed by Boston Philadelphia and Baltimore, and it was big business. As early as 1852, 23 Shanghai gangs operated in San Francisco. But, okay, walk me through what a Shanghai would be. We're going to walk you through it. Okay. Okay, the crimp made his living by furnishing ships with crews. Uh, The crimp had one or more boarding houses, which provided lodging and other services to sailors. Okay. They also had saloons. The boarding masters employed men known as runners, and the runner's job was to get the seamen into the boarding house or saloon. While the ship was waiting offshore to unload its cargo, the only way a sailor could leave is legally was with a runner. He couldn't jump off the ship or he'd be imprisoned. Okay. But he could leave with a runner. Uh-huh. Whenever an incoming vessel arrived, numerous Whitehall boats could be seen streaming from the waterfront. Competition was fierce. Because runners were paid commission for bringing a sailor to a boarding house or saloon. Once aboard the ship, the runners solicited the sailors to desert 
and accompany them to their boarding wait, houses. Wait, wait. Okay, sorry. Yeah. So, okay, so they will they will go find a sailor. They would go out to the ships. Okay, they go out to the ships. Yeah. Like while the ships have docked, yeah. they'd go out to the ships and Before the ru- it's docked, so it's in the bay. Okay, it's but but it's to unload its cargo. Right. Okay, but it's it's right, but it's pretty much on land for yeah. the most part. Close. So, and the runner goes in there. Yeah. And convinces a sailor to go to a saloon. Yeah. And then through that is sort of like time sharing, like why he should like come on this other boat. Yeah. Okay. So he's runners, just getting him drunk and making yeah. it. Okay. Right. Runners would offer free liquor or other inducements to get sailors. This to is come a timeshare. To, <laughs> to come to their boarding house or saloon. Once there, sailors would be drugged. Doping. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> drugged. Doping was usually administered by the bartender, often by putting snuff in their beer, sometimes dropping a strong plug of tobacco in the man's whiskey. Snuff said. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> this just took a much crazier turn. Yeah, it's fucked up. So I'm guessing the runners aren't the best salesmen. Oh, no. They're, yeah. I mean, they, they are salesmen when they get out there, but once, once they yeah, get Yeah, but they're, they get, they're, they're closing like Cosby. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, totally. But once they get them in the boarding house saloon, their job is done. They're fucking back to get the next guy. They're uh, off. They're off getting the next dude, God. and then the bartender takes over or the crimper. <laughs> okay. Uh, if the tobacco- this is a lot to handle, by the way. Yeah. Okay. If the tobacco didn't do the trick, they were given uh, a drink spiked with laudanum, opium, or chloral hydrate. Hmm. If still nothing, they would hit the guy over the head with what was known as a bung starter. Uh, okay. All right. So <laughs> let's just let's everybody slow down. Okay. So they. Yeah. <laughs> plan C is is the flog. Yeah. With a bung starter. Bung starter. It's probably just a big bat. Okay. Like that. Okay. Knock the guy over the head. All right. Because I don't know. After they were relieved of their belongings, including all their clothes, they were wrapped in a blanket and rowed unconscious out to a waiting ship. What? All a crewman needed was four limbs and at least one good eye. What? That's all he needed. Uh, okay, it's it's getting them naked and putting them in the blankets. That's my new sticking point. <laughs> um, <laughs> why that? Because they were gonna. Because they could take the clothes and sell them. They're stripping. It's like when you kill a buffalo. How long you could this? Every how part long? of the buffalo. <laughs> Please do not be a Native American about drugging and declothing sailors. <coughs> but how? Like how? Uh, this could not have lasted long, because soon you have to be like, it's weird. What is fifty years a long time? Ah, uh, yeah, years? yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. They uh, swarm. Oh, this is a quote. They swarm over the rail like pirates and virtually take possession of the deck. The crew are shoved into the runners' boats, and the vessel is often left in a perilous situation with none to manage her. The sails unfurled, and she is liable liable to drift about, uh, in in the shipping channel. In some cases, not a man has been left aboard in half an hour after anchor has been dropped. So, so the runners get there. Okay. And everyone's off the boat at yeah. that point. Uh, a sailor was anybody's game until he actually was in a boat, and then he had named his crimp. Uh, whereupon it's he was very dis- pimpy. Was it is very pimpy. <laughs> it's real pimpy. Yo, yo, that's my bitch. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Like, I pissed on that already. 
That's my bitch. He did. He did. He did piss on me. He did. He did. He pissed all he over pissed. me. He was mo- to be fair and square. Yeah. He's the one who got me naked in the blanket first. Yeah. Therefore, he pissed on. I'm me. his bitch. He's so, pissed on me. I've been creep. Yeah. 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 yeah that's right. Yeah. Hey, tell my wife bye. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Aside from two to four months advance pay, sailors could not collect their wages until their ship had completed its voyage, which took anywhere from four months to four years. What the fuck? sailors left the ship before the voyage was finished and the cargo unloaded, they would not be paid. So the captains had a strong incentive to get sailors Uh, to desert ship. Oh, my God. This sounds like our government. The ship's captains welcomed the runners aboard to lure the deserting sailors onto shore. Uh, I'm, so the okay. ship would pull in, uh-huh. and, and until the cargo's unloaded, no one gets paid. Uh-huh. So they would sit there waiting for the cargo to unload, and then they'd get then the captains would get the guys to come out to try and get the sailors off the ship so they'd never have to pay. Them. Right. So a guy could waste three and a half years, and then in the last minute be like, hey, I'll do a shot. Yeah, I could, I could use a drink. Sailors eventually became wise to the tactic. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, how long until someone's like, hey, um, there's a really shitty deal going on out there. Have you heard? <laughs> so captains would try to get the crews to leave by serving rotten or tiny food rations. Uh, rotten? Yeah. There you go. That's a rat for you. You can have uh. a rat. Uh, the men then usually deserted within a few days, but often the captain would have already made a deal with a crib. The sailors would, sometimes within hours, find themselves aboard the vessel they had just left. No, no, no. Unable to collect wages no, earned no. from the previous voyage. Well, that's so awkward. naked. Oh, God, naked again? <laughs> Why naked again? Because they were on the ship. But and come they on, ju- they oh, just I understand in, the process, but we can, elimin- we can eliminate, they know who they're getting. <laughs> you don't need to renude this man. <clears throat> and... And then the ship, I'm sure, would sell them clothes that they would have to pay off. It's a whole fucking thing. This is bullshit. It's called capitalism. It's called bullshit. Also, they would be in debt to the cramps for two months advance pay to sign up for the outgoing voyage. How is this happening? How is this... How is nobody stopping it? It's America. Yeah, but why... I mean... At some point, somebody must have complained. In perpetual poverty, to work off a debt attached to his future wages, the sailor was a virtual slave laboring under subhuman conditions. So, okay. Um, So the crimper would make the captain give him the sailor's advance pay. So for each, 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 so the sailor would get two months advance pay. Right. And so they'd bring this unconscious guy out. This unconscious naked guy out. Right. And then, and then the captain would be like, well, here's your commission. For getting that guy his job. Uh-huh. So it's like if you work for a temp agency where they're like, we take a percentage of your Wait, money. Wait, the, the so, runner would get the money? Yeah, the runner would get the advance money because they they found, they brought in the client. But then so, <laughs> but no, but then so what's, then it's not advanced money. Well, you, but you owed the, you owed the runner You owe money. the man who drugged you and got you nude and got made you, you a slave? Got you a job. Hey man, uh, you're going to be a dick or tip? He's just a headhunter. So the two months advance pay never goes to the person who's been kidnapped and... and Why would it? The guy... The, okay, all right, okay, yeah, you're right. No, I just wanted to make sure that that's what's going on. This practice was known as... Bullshit! Blood money. Oh, good, good. Because, Always good. Because the senseless man shanghaied aboard ships were frequently blood-soaked. Uh, 
The waterfront. Wait, long- wait, wait, wait! <laughs> don't, don't, don't you rush by this blood part. So they, the, because of the because of Plan C, because they're the yeah. flogging. Yeah, the beatings. Okay, all right. The waterfront along San Francisco's Barbary Coast was one of the most dangerous areas in San Francisco since the beginning of the gold rush. In addition to regulation nightstick and pistol usually carried, every policeman assigned waterfront duty sported a foot-long knife. <laughs> well, now we're, now we're in Saudi Arabia. That's a sword, <laughs> by the way. That's a sword. Several battles occurred where residents of the Barbary Coast had their hands chopped off by skillful police. What is going on? Alleys and streets by the waterfront were packed with saloons, brothels, and boarding houses catering to sailors. Although most boarding houses had bar rooms, sailors often traveled uptown to the dives of the Barbary Coast for entertainment. The, sa- the California- why, why would you go there if you're a sailor? It's just fun. Yeah, but you just go, you know what? what? a good time. That's look, why. look, just don't go to 8 Mile. It just don't cry like it's very you know. Yeah, but they all thought they all thought like, well, I'm wise to this. I'll, I know how to handle this. I can take care. Hey, of Hey, this stuff. guy seems cool. I'm gonna have a drink from him. My head, my clothes, my life. Uh, although most boarding houses at barrooms, sailors often traveled uptown. The California Police Gazette had already warned the public about the strychnine whiskey used by bars to snare their prey. <laughs> the saloons had great names: the Nymphia, the So Different, the Fierce Grizzly. Fat Doherty's, The Crutch, Nigger Purcells. And not all of those crimped were sailors. Many were just men who didn't know better. Like William Davis. He was shanghai and his granddaughter wrote this account. He left Vallejo and left us there to go to San Francisco to look for work around the waterfront and the sailors' boarding houses and saloons. And he was drinking. A ship was bound out for Europe and they were short of carpenters. So they shanghaied him drunk and loaded him on the ship. And when he sobered up, they were six days out on the ocean bound for Cape Horn. As in those days, there was no Panama Canal. So often they would wake up days later because they would just keep them drugged for the few, first few days. So there's like no way that they could ever like once they want. This to is like out. taken. Yeah, except there's no phones. Right. And there's no particular set of skills. Barney, listen to me very carefully. You're naked. Uh, excuse me? You're on a boat? Yeah, I know. I can't do anything. Sorry, I've been calling a lot. It went right to voicemail a bunch. Um, anyway, uh, you're fucked. So uh, so you wake up six days into... She, he woke up six days into the voyage. Yeah. <laughs> so we were left, and we never knew where he was. Right, so then the people, your family, you're just gone. Well, that's the thing about being drugged and thrown on a ship, is there's not time for goodbyes. <laughs> Grandpa Davis showed up after nine years and wanted to mother to take him back. Uh, he was then an old man, and when he told and he told the story of his wanderings, how they shanghaied him, how the ship was shipwrecked in the Bay of Biscay off the coast of Spain, how he was picked up by a ship bound for Malaga, Spain, how he sailed for England and then to Canada and then to California looking for us, then to Logan and found us, but Grandma would not take him in, so he left. Oh. Oh, that's just such well, bullshit. Enough that, of you, that, that's yeah. a life. Yeah. That's a man's life. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. Uh, there were a number of one long crimps in San Francisco. One, uh, one was Horseshoe Brown, who would hit sailors over the head with a horseshoe. Oh, cool. I was hoping his nickname was attached to violence. Uh, Honest Arnold, who got his name because he never told the sailor the truth. 
<laughs> Calico Jim was known for having shanghaied as many as six policemen who had come to investigate him. What? Shanghaiing cops? Yeah. Man, I'll, t- I'll tell you, mate, I understand everything you're saying. Well, let's have a shot and get to the bottom of this, huh? Okay, that sounds all, all right. Perfect. Cheers. There you go. Hey, cheers. Hey, all right. Hey. Just grab this horseshoe. Uh-huh. What's that for? <laughs> Ding! Do-do-do-do-do. Uh, there was Amazonian Mother Bronson. Sure. Who I assume was huge. My the Amazonian. Mother. Yeah. Uh, she was apparently so powerful that she could anesthetize a crewman with her bare hands. <clears throat> Okay. And Miss Pagot, she ran a boarding house that specialized in a drink of gin, brandy, whiskey, and opium. Okay, here's yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. If you're a sailor, just don't drink. Or maybe you don't care. Like, you're like what am I going to fucking do? Go up and dig for rocks? He, I, I, no. You, you, I like being naked with no, the salt no, spray. No, no, you definitely, like, you eliminate most of your, <laughs> you'll be fine if you don't go to a saloon. Look, I came here from Ireland. Just don't go to a saloon. There are no potatoes. Just don't go into the so saloon. So I don't mind being on a you boat without lose, oranges. You will lose your family and life. What? Don't go into the saloon, God uh, damn it! Uh, but Pete and Marty on the boat. No, Pete and Marty are dead. <laughs> all right, I'll just do one. Oh, mother of God. Of all the crimps in San Francisco's Barbary Coast, one man's villainy earned him the label King of the Crimps. James Kelly was known simply as Shanghai Kelly. He was a short, thick man with a wild red beard <clears throat> and red hair and a horrific temper. <laughs> Kelly was born in Ireland. We didn't even have to say that. No, no, it's clear. Um, in 1820, and made his way to California in 1848. No one really knew where in Ireland, Ireland he was from, and he wasn't big on details. Kelly specialized in the long trip, hence the name Shanghai. Waking up on a boat headed for Alaska or the Cook Islands was one thing, but waking up on a ship headed for Shanghai meant years of your life was gone. These were the worst ships with the most undesirable voyages. <clears throat> Kelly set himself up in business uh, sailor's boarding house at 33 Pacific Street, the heart of the Barbary Coast. It was a ramshackle three-story building put up on stilts because when the tide came in, water swept right under the house and lapped at the front door. Shanghai would send out his runners to ships who would induce them with promises of women and liquor. If his runner got a sailor to abandon ship, it was a double win. He now got money for getting the sailor on the next ship, and a vacancy had been created on another one. Oh, boy. So if they get a guy off a ship, yeah. you've created a job. Yeah. And then they put that guy on another ship, and now, they knew that, now that captain needs a guy. Yeah. It's fucking supply and demand. So then you just have to get You've got to bring a new guy <laughs> off another ship. <clears throat> Kelly was also it's like an plugging holes in a dam. Yeah. Kelly was an innovator. He invented the opium cigar. Oh, God. <clears throat> he had cigars made in Chinatown where the drug was rolled into the cigar with tobacco. That way, even when a wary sailor who insisted on pouring his own drinks could be drugged when he was offered a good smoke. It was called a Shanghai smoke. Kelly's knockout specialty drink was schnapps with beer spiked with opium, <laughs> laudanum, and chloral hydrate. What? If the sailor, it sounds like the Subway bread. If, <laughs> As the list goes on and on, they're more like periodic elements. <laughs> if uh, the sailor managed to be standing, he got the standard knock on the skull. Ugh. 
and speed was important to Shanghai Kelly. This was because ship captains often became desperate for crewmen at the last minute when members of the crew failed to show up. Oh, no, not necessarily even failed to show up. We're drugged and thrown on another ship, probably. So while he is a crimper, he is like a specialty crimper because he can, he can get the last minute crew. Yeah, he's so like he's, the fast food of Shanghai. Yeah. Right. Um, because of this, Kelly had three trap doors installed in front of his bar. When a what? crewman was... Whoa, whoa, this is not good. <laughs> tra- tra- trap, legitimate trap doors. This might be my first reality dose of trap dooring. Uh-huh. So I felt like this was fairly invented. Okay. <laughs> Continue it. When a crewman was needed quickly, Kelly, Kel- Kelly would maneuver the man to the correct place in the bar while the bartender poured him a spiked cocktail. <laughs> then, just as the sailor seemed to be losing consciousness, Kelly would signal someone who would trip the trapdoor. The victim then fell directly into a boat waiting below, and a runner would take him out to a ship. Oh, my God. <clears throat> I mean... <laughs> what? Oh, don't look at me, innocent. It's, he's like the Henry Ford of, uh, of crimping. Ugh. Uh, the man was often injured by the fall, uh, but he had a nice long sea voyage ahead of him to recover. Uh, what do you need better than doctors always say, you know, get out by the ocean. and Yeah, no, that's what they always say, get salt water around it. Um, if the combination of the drug and the fall had killed him, Kelly would still not lose his commission. The dead man would be wrapped in a blanket and sold to the ship's captain as a doping victim. Captains often would not figure out he was dead. Until oh, they my God. Well out into the Pacific. No. What? That it, uh, it, this is very dark. Well, check your check your produce before you like you when you when you're getting eggs at this. It, store, it's like the Monty Python and, bit in Holy Grail. You look at him, the eggs when you when you're at the store. I mean, this man looks like he's dead. I'm not gonna pay for this. This is a dead man. He's fine. This guy's fine. He's fine. He'll wake up. Oh yeah, he'll wake up. He doesn't have a I pulse. I put an extra dose of... Yeah, that's because I put an extra dose in there, but he'll come around. I, I, listen, if I swear to God, if I get out there again the and latest... I'm dealing with another goddamn corpse... Okay, listen. I'm not going to be back for two years, so it's hard for me to get revenge. The latest medical research say that uh, a pulse is not necessary. He's blue. Yes. he's that's, His name's Blue Tommy. All right, take the money. Shanghai... Uh... God damn it, Blue Tommy's dead! <laughs> Shanghai Kelly... <laughs> Became a legend in San Francisco. Sailors would return and attempt to exact revenge against Kelly, but would most often find themselves once again Shanghai. Oh no, that that has to be the that is the worst. <laughs> when you when you spend three years on a ship, the whole time all you're doing is like, when I get I'm back gonna get here, I'm gonna get that bitch. fuck. I'm gonna get that. And then you're like, Kelly, I'm here for you, thunk. Oh, oh God, where are we going? You know, I've actually reformed myself since I did that to you. Please. Accept my apology and have a drink. A little bit to the left. A little further to the left. Just a touch more to the left. Right here. Little right. Okay. All right. Have the drink. Yeah, thank you. Trip it! What? And he's dead. Uh, So uh, there were legal remedies, though. A small and disreputable band of bar-hopping lawyers began filing legal suits for victimized sailors. On what grounds? Against Kelly and the ship owners. Okay. Whenever a judgment was handed down in a sailor's case, the attorney took his fee, which he would then share with Kelly. Hmm. Hmm. So he set up. Sorry. So here's what Kelly did. Kelly brought some lawyers in who would then take these guys who were coming in saying, I got shanghai And then they would go to court, and then he would win a judgment, and the ship's 
owner would pay, and then Kelly would just take the money. Good. So, in 1851, the San Francisco police made an effort to stop shanghaiing. Uh-huh. This was done under crusading Captain Edgar Walker, but it was not successful at all. Whenever a policeman was assigned to waterfront patrol, he disappeared. Ah, uh, that's just crazy. Kelly's career reached its pinnacle in the early 1870s. A convoy of three ships sent word by a runner boat as they passed the Farallon Islands that they were horribly short of crew from disease and desertion. Together, the ships needed around 100 men to get back to full strength. <laughs> no, no. One of the ships was named the Reefer and was legendary for the harshness of its command, the dangers of its food, and its filthy living quarters. Uh. Kelly canvassed the neighborhood and saw that the pickings were scarce. With hardly any ships in port and a bunch of regulars in the saloon, it wasn't looking good. But 100 men was a huge commission. Then he came up with what is considered the greatest crimping scam oh boy. of all time. Oh, boy. Kelly cleaned out his till, took the money, and chartered a paddle wheel steamer called the Goliath for two days. Then Kelly declared that he was throwing himself a birthday party. Oh, no. No one questioned the timing because he never told anyone much about himself. Kelly sent word. So I'm having a birthday party. <laughs> didn't, didn't you have one just like a... Listen, everybody should come. Come on down. Yeah, but you just had Bring to... your male friends. Oh, okay. Guys only. Oh, just the fellas. Yeah, just strong fellas only. <laughs> No one questioned the time because, oh, Kelly sent word all over the waterfront that a huge bash was going to take place on the Goliath with free food and booze. Oh, it was his way of saying thank you to everyone who had helped him over the years. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but all the, but the most suspicious men got on the Goliath. Pimps, con men, beggars, cutthroats. After 100 or so men were on ship, Kelly gave the signal and out to see it went. No. Kelly stocked the ship with rum and whiskey, free food, and his own bartenders. The drinking got underway immediately as the ship passed under the Golden Gate. The party was well on. Men started stumbling and collapsing all over the ship. By the time the Goliath reached the reefer and its companion ships, Kelly was ready to make his deal and unload the victims. He made several thousand dollars and sailed back to San Francisco Bay. What a fucking dick. But then he realized he had a problem. Almost everyone knew about the birthday bash, and now he's returning with a mostly empty ship. He thought about waiting for nightfall and returning in the darkness. But then word came that a ship called the Yankee Blade had hit an underwater rock and was taking on water. He quickly changed course and headed for the Yankee Blade. He rescued everyone on the ship, uh. then gave them all the food and booze, and when the Goliath came back to its berth, a bunch <laughs> of drunken men stumbled off the ship and into the bars of San Francisco. And <laughs> soon later be Shanghai. <laughs> Wow, that's fucking... I mean, he must... Th- what a fucking asshole. Yeah. Oh, our hero! Our hero! Mom, I'm just doing what God wanted me to. He wasn't the only Shanghai Kelly. Hmm? There was also Joseph Kelly, or Bunko, Be- Bunko Kelly. In Portland, Oregon, <clears throat> he was, kn- was known for its dangerous port as much as San Francisco. Portland had an underground, the city's network of so-called Shanghai tunnels, which tourists today are often told were used to spirit unsuspecting men, perhaps lured by a half-naked prostitute to an establishment where they were drugged and kidnapped toward their final destination. By his count, some 2,000 souls owe their time to sea because of Joseph Kelly. Jesus. Kelly spent his early life on the sea. In his memoir, he wrote of once being shipwrecked on an island of Madagascar. Rescued from the shipwreck by the natives, Kelly was fed soup. Afterward, he looked into the clay jug that stored the rest of the stew and discovered the right hand of one of his shipmen. Ah! When a typhoon struck, he and some other sailors followed the lead of a man described as an old pirate and escaped from the rescuers. They were promptly picked up by pirates, 
Fortunately, Kelly and his band managed to lock the pirates in the ship's belly before heading ashore to India. In 1879, Kelly got off a ship in Portland. About three-fifths of all sailors who arrived in Astoria or Portland ditched their ships. Kelly took up the trade of crimping and became so good at it that Stuart Holbrook, who was a rough writer back then, uh, who specialized in selling Portland history, um, described him as, quote, an artist for the magnificent imagination he applied to his occupation was nothing short of creative. Nothing short of creative. According to Halbrook, one October, while looking for seamen for a ship leaving the next morning, Kelly went through his usual stops on Skid Row, Erickson's, Blazers, the Green Ivy, the Senate, and could not find a single man to press into service on a ship. Standing across the street from a cigar store, about to give up, Kelly noticed a six-foot-tall wooden cedar statue Indian outside. He wrapped the Indian statue in tarpaulin and carried it to the ship's bunk. no. No. <laughs> Two days later. Is it just me or is that guy a terrible worker? <laughs> yeah, but he's giving out cigars. Yeah, it's true. He's got this, this. I'll tell you what. That guy's cool with cigars, but he won't take orders from anyone. Two days later, the deception was discovered and the sailors threw the statue overboard. Uh, the Finn salmon fish. That really says about. a lot, too, because. That means sometimes they were leaving these dudes wrapped up for two days. Yeah, they would just... Like, yeah. unmoved. Well, they would just think the guys were going to yeah, come out of there. that there was well. just a naked guy who was eventually going to hatch. Opium. <laughs> just see the little beak poking out through the cloth. Uh, this little scam made Kelly $50 and the nickname Bunko, turn-of-the-century slang for a con man. <laughs> yeah. Bunko Kelly appeared in newspapers for the first time a few years later. In April 1887, a ship's captain wrote to the Oregonian to complain that Kelly had supplied him with a man who was rendered nearly motionless by rheumatism. Kelly's next mention, just three years later in 1890, a local paper described him as the boss Shanghaier in the Northwest. His most famous exploit was in 1893 when Kelly was asked to supply the Flying Prince with 22 men at a rate of $30 per head. Kelly's walking down the street and noticed an open trap door on the sidewalk. What? The kind that a business uses without alleys, you know, just like an oh, okay, like right, open door. Okay, I'm thinking no trap door, not a trap. Yeah, uh, and he entered. He entered the. Of course, if you're sure. this guy, you can hey, make, what's hey, up? Hey, what's everybody doing in here? Can I make you guys slaves <laughs> inside? He found 24 men, 10 of whom were dead. What? The group had tried to burgle the cellar of the saloon next door, but had accidentally broken into an undertaker's shop instead. The keg they found and tapped was filled with embalming fluid. Uh, what? Kelly took the 14 survivors and 10 corpses to the ship where he was paid for them all. The ship was already heading down the Columbia River when the corpses were discovered. <laughs> oh, my God. I Like, the fact that... It it got even darker, like kidnapping and ruining lives and drugging people. But now the body switch element. It's good. It's and good. really, if you're in charge of these ships, just fucking check. Right. Or, you know, write a contract. Kick them. I don't know. Kick them. Kick them real hard. Around this time, Bunko Kelly was arrested, but not for crimping because crimping was legal. Jaywalking. Kelly was arrested for allegedly murdering G.W. Sayers an opium smuggler who had been hacked to death and thrown in the Willamette River. Kelly had been fond of selling folk eight, uh, fake opium, which was actually clay, to the local Chinese population. Jesus, this guy is real <laughs> full of shit. 
He allegedly lured Sayers out of his home with promises of a scheme to raise about $200 by selling fake opium. Then he beat Sayers to death. Before Kelly was sentenced to life in prison, he declared his innocence and blamed the death on a frame job by other crimps. And Kelly may have been telling the truth. He had been working for Larry Sullivan, a prize fighter turned crimp, and he was listed as a clerk at Sullivan's Sailor's Home at 113 North 2nd Street. By September 1894, though, Kelly had broken away from Sullivan and gone into business with someone else, renting a flop house that was used as a boarding house on B Street. Sullivan was not pleased with this turn of events. Three days before the murder, Sullivan, Kelly, and two other men were taken to jail for what the local news reported was a lively street fight. <laughs> uh-huh. As opposed to one of those real tame street fights. <laughs> While Kelly maintained his innocence, his story often varied. Sometimes he was being framed by Sullivan. Other times he had been hired by a Portland attorney to kidnap Sayers because he was pursuing a case against one of the attorney's clients. It took a jury 12 hours to find Kelly guilty of murder in the second degree. While in prison, Kelly wrote the memoirs, the memoir, 13 years in the Oregon State Penitentiary, in which he claims to have fought in the American Civil War, uh, a Cuban uprising, and in Chile, where Kelly says he was part of a regular monthly effort to overthrow the government. Working... <laughs> a mon- monthly? Yeah. The government's got to be like, all right, it's the 28th. <laughs> Let's do this. Get ready. They're going to try to overthrow us again. Uh, so uh, the book didn't sell well. By the time Kelly was released in 1908, he'd been largely forgotten. He made an appearance that same year in San Francisco when a report in the San Francisco Call stated that he was working for gang boss Abe Roof, who was on trial for bribery. Quote, Bunko Kelly, another undesirable, who openly reports to Roof's office boy, Charlie Haggerty, during recesses of the court, was also present. After a book tour in Seattle the following year, he wasn't heard, for, heard from again. The big problem with these characters is they, there's hardly any actual real record of their doings. Bunko Kelly was because they weren't that uh, open. Yeah, and then Bunko Kelly was supposed to be from Liverpool, but he was actually from Connecticut. And there's no, there's no record of the cigar store Indian. There's some newspaper reports, but there's no like police. Right. That's the other thing is this is all legal, so there's no. How the fuck is it legal? But there, the stories have been reported reported over and over, and they've been published in Shanghaiing is totally legal. Yeah. Um, Loud Kelly does appear in court records. Crips often use the courts against each other, such as when in April 1887 he took his own brother to court over a $50 debt, though he apparently remained in partnership with him. <laughs> a story in the Oregonian in 1889 recounts complaints of a Samoan sailor who said Kelly locked him in a room when Kelly couldn't find a ship that would readily take him. Uh, I mean, that's insane. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to find. I just the situation to totally fuck you hasn't emerged yet. Just give me 15 minutes. Oh uh, yeah. So there you go. Well, that's fucking insane. Shanghai. Uh, unbelievable. It was a good time, and they had and and the government had to sanction it because they needed cargo to come in, and it's like illegal ships. immigration right now. Yeah. Yeah. They needed the ships. They needed the. They needed it. So they just let them be abused and. And they knew they had to be kidnapped. And it was Ugh. a total fucking disaster. Jesus Christ. God bless America. Okay. Everybody feel weird? Yeah. Yeah. We do. We feel weird. Okay. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, 
this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, this same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 